Welcome back. We're here with the essential partners, Katie and John. And we're going to continue the conversation. This is part two. And if you haven't checked out part one, which we released a couple of days ago, or it might be already in your feed, definitely check it out. And we're just going to continue that conversation here. More in common. How would you characterize conflict? I feel like I've thought about this a lot because I studied conflict resolution, you know, in grad school, you know, you have this idea that conflict is something to be resolved. And I've always wrestled with this because in every relationship I've ever had, I still remember one of my best friends, she was the maid of honor at my wedding. She and I are still very, very close. When I was about, when we were about 19, she said something to me that I never forgot, which was someday we are going to disappoint each other and let each other down. Like we just have to know this from the get go. She was like 20. She's one of the wisest people I've ever met. She said, you know, someday I'm not going to be there when you need me to be there. And like our friendship has to be able to get through that moment because this is not going to like sometime you're not going to show up for me. Sometimes I'm not going to show up for you because we are human and we are messy. And I think um, conflict is, I think I have gotten to be more okay with, with some conflict with some tension. And John actually taught me some of this. I remember him sitting me down like five years ago saying, there is a thing as positive tension. You just hold both sides of the rope and you just kind of, you just kind of got to sit in it for a little while, you know? And I think as a person who has been a both and for most of my life, you know, I grew up in the South, grew up in, in the Midwest, grew up in more rural more Republican areas. And now I live in Boston and I am kind of, you know, a little bit in between always finding places to like sit in the imperfection or sit with differences. There can be such newness in it if it is done well. And I think that's what our work does. That's what I love about our work is that it makes space for people to feel a part of a community, even in moments of difference, to be able to turn to each other even in those tough moments, even when something threatens to tear them apart, to still say something about this, like this relationship, we want to continue it. And back to agency, you know, like that's what John was saying. You know, if you want to leave the country, you can leave the country. If that's no longer serving you, if you don't want your futures to be intertwined, if you want to leave the company, if you want to leave the organization, if you want to move, that's your right. But if you want to say, this is a relationship that I want to invest in, to be able to turn to each other in those messy moments and say, you know, this is a conflict that we're having. How do we, how do we get through this conflict or how do we sit in this conflict? How do we hold this rope of tension and not kind of tug a war until one of us falls over? Yeah. But I, I remember when we were doing our last strategic plan and we came up with a new, um, a new vision statement for our work and Katie's going to remind me what it is because I'm really bad at sort of elevator speeches and mission it statements. It takes a while to get used to it. So it took, a, you know, took us a long time to understand exactly what our cause statement is. Uh, exactly, so, yeah, right? get it. So it's get it. something like one of our, our vision statement is something like, okay, ready? Um, we envision a world of thriving mm. communities strengthened by difference, connected by trust. That's perfect. Mm. I did it. Woo, I did it. Nailed I still it. About the mission. Thank you. So, but the but when when I heard is like connected, so strengthened by difference. Like we're strengthened by our difference. Like that's the promise 
that's the possibility of a place like America. That's a po- that that of, of, of our planet. I mean, of course, we have differences. Our differences don't have to be our divisions. They can be our strengths. And so how do you live out the fullness of that diversity? How do you actually allow people to bring everything that they are to the table and let that strengthen our community? And so when there's conflict, it's just somebody saying, I need something and I'm not getting it. And so how do you listen to that and help everybody in the community listen to that and say, okay, you're not getting it. You're probably not getting it. So let's talk about that. Let's let's reveal more of what we need so that we can uh, get more for each other because there's possibility here. There is dynamic, powerful, creative tension in our differences. I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to call ourselves a democracy, we're going to call ourselves a pluralistic country. If we're going to, we're going to have to embrace our differences and and live into the fullness of them and make them our strength. The idea of bringing one's whole self to work or an organization um, is, is one it's, it's very nuanced and there, there are some challenges there. Mm. How do you two think about that? So I will make sure to only speak for myself here. Cause I do think it's actually, I, I actually think that this is very much a personal choice. And I think there are two pieces about this. Like one, everybody's going to have different risk levels and different things at stake and different challenges when they say, I want to bring myself, or I don't want to bring myself as I am to work. People also have different priorities. You know, like you might just want to have that nine to five where you can go home and like do your real life and, and leave all of that behind. That's your choice. So I think there's a piece of this that says, do I want to do this or do I not want to do this? And then there's a piece of it that says, what about this culture? What about this structure is making it possible or is, is inviting or not inviting me to do that? And I think that's the kind of when we work with organizations, when we work with institutions, that's the piece we try to make sure that folks are equipped to do, that managers are equipped to say, to start to have conversations with their teams about um, what people on their teams need, how they communicate. You know, sometimes I do this exercise where, you know, I, I put people up on a, on a wall and I say, okay, how many of you like to show emotion in a, in a very obvious way? Cry at work get mad at work, get frustrated at work. How many of you would prefer to never have emotions touch, you know, the workspace at all, that it's logic, it's rationality, you know, be calm, be cool, be collected. And you see people. And then I say, the point of this is not to say what's better or worse, but to say that everyone has a natural response and you get to decide as a team, how you want to invite those different responses and how you make space for people to do that. Should they choose to, and I know that, you know, even when, when COVID started at our organization, we have a staff of eight and then we work with about 20 people in the field, but we all transitioned virtually overnight, just like everyone else. And it was this collective moment of, oh no, like, what do we do? And so at the same time, we were helping our clients navigate it and our partners navigate it. We were also doing the same thing. And I remember us kind of sitting down a couple months in and sitting down and saying, okay, what's no longer working that worked before? What's still working? What is it that you need people to understand about what's happening for you right now? Your kids are at home and schools are closed. And you, you know, like, how do we know, how do we create that work-life balance again? What's important to people in this moment that might not have been true this time last week? And then we've added new people to our teams and I've had to continue to have those conversations. 
because adding new people to the team I mean that they, they can't just come into the culture and be expected to fit in. But you've got to move and, and adapt to make space for those folks as well. And so I think that's what I think about, you know, that if you want to bring your full self to work, you should have the choice and the, and the window and, uh, and the opportunity to be able to do that. And the organization or team that you're in should, you know, we want to be able to equip people to move and make space for that so that you're kind of this culture is agile and it's flexible and it's kind of always changing to meet people where they're at, whether it's a really difficult moment of transition, like it was last March or adding somebody new to your team or, you know, just realizing that someone's life circumstances have changed and to see that and to actually, to go back to my first point, to see things work better. Like you see it, you see it happen, you see it work better. And so you don't give up one by spending more time on that culture piece. So I think it's a both and, you know, I never ask people to bring their full selves to work, but I want to make sure that they can, if they want to. And there's an interesting component of the, what defines your whole self, right? As an individual. And, uh, you know, we talk about the environment, right? Culture happens whether you want it to or not. So is it a culture of judgment and criticism? So someone mm -hmm. who does just want nine to five, like that may be everything they have. They're not emotional. They're, they're not, that is their self. How does the environment accept that for them where they are, but who they are. And then the person, that same individual who can't stand emotion accepts the person who came in sobbing because their dog died today and they just need to release and let it go and, and be in it so we can all be moving forward productively without judgment and fear. And that intentional effort to deliver that environment is, is, is hard, but it's brilliant. And I, I totally, and we totally agree and love, love where you're at on that. Um, John, uh, not to, jump in, but now I got to let, let you have some space to answer that too. I, you know, there's not much to add except that I, I remember the moment that I realized working with a colleague who is a very different identity, different age, different race, different gender from me. And they had this very different take on something. And I realized like, oh, diversity means they're going to have a really different take on things than I do. And I'm going to have to like, oh, it's not just like people who look different, but think and act just like me, that makes things easy. You know, no, it's like, there's something. And so then it's, it's, um, what's the magic in that? What's the, what's the beauty of that? What's the invitation of that? It's to learn something new. It's to expand myself as a practitioner, as a person, it's to grow and to grow our culture. So every new person that comes into our, into our office or part of our team or whatever, they, they bring with them, this, you know, wonderful package of differences and, and traditions and thoughts and ways of uh, interacting with time and technology. And yeah, there's something new to learn there and integrate and be intentional about exactly what you just said. Let's be intentional about that because you don't want people feeling like, oh, I don't, I don't belong here right? Because nobody sort of gave it a thought to what does that mean to be in this space, you know? Uh, so yeah, it's... And I think there's also a recognition that you're never going to get it right. You know, like you're never going to have the perfect, you're never going to reach an end game to that where you're like, well, we've done it. We have the perfect culture. We have the perfect, 
you know, team or we have the perfect whatever, um, that we're always growing into it. You know, you're always stretching. You're always saying, you know, what did we need? What did we miss here? I'm sure. I'm sure that that actually dissuades some people. Um, there's, there's a really good article I was just reading and, and Keith, that book, we was it behave the one on the brain structure. Robert Sapolsky. Like, there are yeah. some, yeah, Sapolsky. There are actually differences in the way the brain works in the traditionally conservative mind and in the traditionally liberal mind. And so someone has got to think like, wait, this is never going to be done. Like that's no, I have no time for that. I have no energy for it. Not going to do it. Sorry. Um, it, it, I had never even actually thought about it until you just said that. I'm like, oh, like some people might just be turned off by that very point. And on your exercise on the lining up on the wall, that's amazing. I love it. And I would maybe add one other scenario. There may be people, well, this is from my own personal experience, who feel that they cannot be emotional at work, whether yes. or not they want to be. Uh, yes. But yeah, I loved it. Yeah. And there is an element of trust, even in doing that exercise that you're asking people to a level of vulnerability. You know, there's, there's all the pre-work to be done, but I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. Fighting over, you know, what feather to use in the pillows when we haven't even decided we want down, right? Like it's just, we, and we get so stuck in that space. And when I think about the success of we'll call it success of culture where you are able to bring people with the nine to five mentality, the emotional, the stoic, the, all of these folks to embrace the culture that, that you have because that macro establishment is there. It's understood. We have a common vision, a common purpose. And if you're not into that, maybe you don't join the organization. How do you, help people get to that conversation because it is so easy to get stuck in the mud because that's where we ultimately live in our minds most of the time. There's so much there. Uh, yes. there's, there's stuff around, you know, the, t the tension between the co-creation of culture and the fact that you work in an, in an institution and in an organization that, that has its own kind of leadership has its own predetermined values and, and goals and purposes of existing. You know, you can't, hire someone to kind of make pillows if your job is to make cars, you know, right. and then, and then, you know, so, th so there is a piece of this, that is this constant push and pull. And who I think it connects to, to what Rodney was saying too, of saying, you know, like for things never being done, you never, you never see a company saying, well, we've made all the money there is to make. So we're going to set this aside. Uh, or, you know, our R and D came up with this one great idea. We did it. Our R and D is now done. You know, that's it. So there's this really interesting thing when it comes to culture where I think the biggest perception shift is saying, okay, like, what does it mean to actually sit in this and treat it the same way you, you treat other parts of your company, which is always trying to do better, always trying to think in different ways, always trying to kind of build something new or something that is valuable. Um, you know, a lot of our work admittedly happens in mission-driven spaces or in, in spaces where people are already having some sort of larger hope for the world. So it's, it's a little bit trickier when your, your job is just to make profit. Although even in those spaces, I say, okay, what if you could do that better? <laughs> However, I, I mean, I do think like 
I do think that that's something that I want to be inviting and making space for is, is helping a company say, how do we have those conversations transparently? How do we have, um, and in a school, in a classroom too, you know, like we work in, in with teachers all the time and teachers are used to seeing the same three to five students raise their hand in every single class. And I, you know, see, it doesn't seem that way now, but I'm an introvert and I'm also a perfectionist. So I was one of those people who never spoke up in class because I never wanted to be wrong in front of everyone else. And I was so terrified that I wouldn't have something brilliant to say or wise to say that I would just be quiet. And I think, you know, for our teachers too, it's like, how do you ask your students what they need to participate fully? And how do you design and set that up to help them learn in ways that, that they learn? And like when I taught, I started spending the first class period on just setting up that norm, which is really hard to ask a teacher to do because you only have so many classroom hours, you know, like that's you have a limited amount of time with these students. But I think, you know, trying to create a space where, where you say, OK, how how can you recognize that you have these learning objectives? How can you recognize that you are trying to invite your students to think deeply about these issues? And then how can you invite them into a conversation about what they need in order to learn, what they need in order to do that? So, you know, maybe every student gets an opportunity to answer a question. Maybe they go into small groups. Maybe they have a little parent share. Maybe they do some reflections. But that all of that can actually help support your learning goals. And I think that can be applied. You know, it's the joy of being a process-based institution. We get to say, like, how are you setting up this container? Like, what's the container? that will allow you to do what you need to do. I don't know. John, you're, I feel no, like you have totally. Some... No, it's exactly right. I love that. And and, the, and what you said earlier, Keith, about the fact that like the culture, we, we could just accept the culture that's here that says some people talk and some people don't. Some people interrupt other people. You're right. We just know like those people get to interrupt those people. Those people uh, talk last. That person stands up and talks forever. Um, you know, or like, or, uh, or as Katie said, you know, but it, it's, and, and so, yeah, what she said about what Katie said about students, you know, it's established in the first few, in the first few classes of a semester. And so you think, Joe, am I really going to invest all this time in, in creating an atmosphere and a set of agreements and intentions and conditions that will help people talk? Well, I could spend my time as a teacher, and I've taught in classrooms, trying to look over the kid's head in the front row with their hand up, trying to get the other kids to talk. Or I could begin that culture change, right? Building that culture intentionally together. Every space has its own rules about what's sayable, what's not sayable. And, and, and if you don't bring intention to it, if you don't think about that and co-create it, then you replicate old patterns. You replicate old old marginalizations, old oppressions, uh, and you and you can't make the step that we in this country or in any organization needs to make in order to get out of where we've been. Yeah, that's like, yes. I'm going to attempt to do something that I don't often do um, in the, in the part. I'm going to try and uh, thread a, a, a needle between all the things we've said and it has a little bit to do with the personal journey I've been on. So I need y'all to check me because it could be very much rife with halo and confirmation and recency bias. So we'll see talking about conflict and is it to be one? Is it good? Is it healthy? Can it be good? Can it be healthy? 
And then this, this idea that we kind of started out with, with agency and I, I have like all these stars around agency all the times I've written it down today, this idea that we get to make a choice, like we, we get to make a choice. The journey that I've been on is this one of, of understanding acceptance and non, non-resistance. Like what is this, what is this thing in front of me? And just accepting that it's actually in front of me. And what I've realized is that most of the tension in my head, like the physical tension in my head, I'm holding on to. If I just take a deep breath and realize it's there, I can like, oh, like I was holding tension about that thing that happened 10 minutes ago because I don't know why the hell I was holding that. I don't know. And the agency to say like, to, to sit back and question like, is there something wrong with this conflict? Is it is there a problem that you look at it this way and I look at it this way? Is there a problem that we disagree about a thing and how much of the resistance are we bringing to the table? Probably all of it is kind of this this threat. I don't know. That's it. I'm done. I'm done talking. It's not even a coherent <laughs> thought. It's just word vomit. Is there? Is there a? Is there no, a? You want to? No, you want to wrap it up? No. And then, no, no. That's like it. it. That's it. That's what no, you get. I, I don't like do it because that's what like you get. It. Yeah, I like this idea of just sitting like in it. it. You know, like I'm thinking about it. I'm sitting in it, and I I'll definitely be thinking about that. I think it's really fascinating to think about agency from that lens of like how much of this is mine to hold. And I actually will say that one of the joys of being in community because oftentimes what I ask folks is like, is this a community that you want to continue to invest in? Is this a space you want to continue to invest in? And it doesn't have to be a linear answer. You're like, even for myself, sometimes I'll be like, nope, I'm out. And, and, I'll, talk, and I'll talk to people who I love and trust about that. You know, like I'll, you know, I'll talk to people on our team. I'll talk to people outside of our team. I'll talk to my partner. I'll talk to like, and, and I trust him to be able to hit, to, to take and hold that with me. Those moments of unsuredness or, or, Moments for me where I say, I think I'm holding this, but I can't quite let it go yet. Like, and which is a problem, you know, like co-directors are amazing because I get to learn so much every day. And I feel like John constantly reminds me that sometimes I can let it go, but sometimes it's either easier said than done. You know, I just need some space. I just need to to think about it. John, you're laughing because you know, it's true. Real quick, I remembered one thing. There is a piece of, like, it's like things that we think enough times over and over become codified as beliefs. So, like, at some point, we chose our beliefs, whether they were handed to us or we just thought about it enough. So, we also have the choice of un- undoing our beliefs. So, it's like, I think that's where I want to go ultimately with the agency is like, how much of this needs to be. Because we have so many layers of, of social construct given to I us it, or that we subscribe to. That whole concept around conflict, like does conflict need to be resolved? And it's almost that idea of what is the actual conflict? Is the conflict between you and I and over the idea itself? Maybe. But that's an external thing that we generally could probably resolve. And it might be resolving in just that your idea wins out, my idea, we're not going to try it this time. But the conflict that sticks around is, 
I didn't get my idea. And then is, is that conflict the thing that actually needs to be resolved? Right. And that I think is the existential question. Anytime conflict occurs is what is it? And does it actually need to be resolved? And what does resolution look like? Sometimes Katie, to your point, it's just looking at myself and saying, I am holding resistance to something. And the resolution isn't between me and the other person. It's between me and myself because there's really no conflict here. The conflict is I didn't get my way. And um, it, it, it goes back to the beginning of Rodney's point on, you know, bringing back agency and just how much of this, as you said at the beginning, has to do with our own reflections of ourselves almost more than it does our reflections of other people. But anyhow, um, Rodney, we, we've we've got to wrap something are, that we can continue to. It's <clears throat> it's amazing that it's kind of a carbon copy thing going on, and yet, and in the same time, you brought so much just wonderful food for thought and conversation. So, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, seriously, um, thank you. This is awesome, and I, and I hope we get to talk more. Really, really look forward to that. Um, the final question is, I don't know. I was going to qualify it as simple, but I don't know. I don't need to do that. I'm just going to ask the question. What does compassion mean to you? So um, I'll take compassion in the direction that we were actually just talking about, which is um, the conflict that we might have because of our differences, the conflict that we might have over the conflict, which is where you were going in a way that might harden in me that I actually begin to identify myself as against you. Like that's how I, I'm, I'm from Massachusetts. That means I'm not from New Hampshire where you're from. Uh, right. And, and, um, and part of my identity as somebody from Massachusetts is that I don't really like people from New Hampshire. Right. That, that we begin to codify that thing. Compassion is like the opposite of that. Compassion is to say, no, you are part of who I am. My identity includes you as a human being, and it's wrapped up in dignity. It's wrapped up in my sense that we belong to each other and that I see in you um, my own humanity and I give you my own humanity to see uh, as well. I think I, I see compassion as as both compassion for oneself and compassion for another and saying, how can I help you find what you need and take what you need while also making sure that I don't lose myself in the process? And how can we do that together? And how can we recognize as, as John so beautifully said that, you know, our futures are intertwined in some way and we cannot escape each other. We cannot escape this world, these communities. We can, we can certainly leave the micro, but, in a very large way, you know, our futures are intertwined. And so how can we help? How can we look at, at others and say, how can, how can I help you get what you need while not losing myself in the process? 